0: Hello and welcome to the Essential B2B Podcast. I am your host, Brand Awareness Manager Joe Ducaro. This episode is the audio taken from our webinar, Sales Superpower Discovery Skills. Once again, we had an amazing panel of speakers on the do's and don'ts of discovery calls and it was a really fun recording. There's loads to take away here. So without further ado, here's the podcast. Hello and welcome to this B2B Essential Skills Week webinar. I am your host, Brand awareness manager joe ducaro and today we will be discussing sales superpower discovery skills do you find it a challenge to get all of the information you need from prospects up front just about every sales book preaches the importance of uncovering pain points and challenges during discovery but how quickly but how does quickly understanding where you can add value affects how opportunities progress and the speed that they reach a sale Discovery and how to master it is a key skill to have in your arsenal. So joining me to discuss discovery techniques and more is a panel of sales superheroes. We have Alison Edgar, MBE, author of Smash It, The Art of Getting What You Want and Chief Smasher at Smash It Training. Hello, Alison.
1: Hi, Joel. Thanks for having me back.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I do hope you've got some more songs ready for us uh, for this webinar.
1: Always <laughs> <laughs> oh, the songs, Joel. Always oh, the Fantastic. songs.
0: Excellent stuff. Uh, we have Harpal Chimo, who's Channel Account Director at Red Store. Hello, Harpal.
2: Hi, Joe. How are you? You well? Thanks for having me on the uh, on the webinar today.
0: It's my absolute pleasure. All the better for speaking to all of you guys. And finally, last but not least, we have Mason Moll, who is Head of Mid Market SDR for Lead Forensics. Hello, Mason.
3: Hello. Uh, good afternoon. Good morning. Wherever you are. Lovely <laughs> to be here.
0: We're on different time zones, aren't we, Mason? So it's we are confusing. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> So for our audience who is watching uh, we will be using the chat function throughout the webinar so if you come up with a question that you want to ask the panel please feel free to pop it in there we'll answer it if we have time so let's jump straight in shall we uh most prospects will have a variety of general pain points that your product or service can help to solve but finding out which is their priority is the key to a positive conversation so what tactics do you employ when exploring with a prospect where you can add the most value uh, Mason should we start with you on this one?
3: Yeah absolutely so uh, I guess it's worth touching on kind of my history and experiences I've always really um, coached and trained and and led SDR teams and more recently now uh, those who we call own business at Lead Forensics those 360 sales people who are charged with not only front-end prospecting but also that back-end 180 selling of their own opportunities as well and Kind of approaching it, I guess, from that front end point of view. Um, discovery is, is so important. And when you first make, normally, cold contact with someone, you don't actually know what pain points a, that prospect has um, because of the first point of contact. What I've found is what holds most reps back from deriving a lot of value or getting the outcome that they actually intend from that initial conversation is either they're not asking the right type of questions. Um, or they are asking those right questions. They're just not direct and concise enough. And because of that, they never quite get the outcome they want. And I find that's one pretty obvious problem they get. Um, you also get the very sort of keen bean reps also who are so set on leading someone down one certain path of a conversation, they pigeonhole them. And because of that, they're so desperate to lead it to some kind of end goal or, or crescendo. Um they normally neglect what the actual pain points, challenges are, goals are of that person they're speaking to. So if we're looking at tactics, it's going to sound very general. But it's just having a normal, down-to-earth conversation, Joe, as if you and I were were at the pub, for example, on a on a first on a Friday night. Um, better not say a Thursday night, right? There, um, <laughs> having that general conversation with somebody and letting it naturally flesh itself out. Um, I don't think we need to enforce any kind of underhand 1980s style tactics here. It's just having really open conversations and being very forthcoming with what you'd like to get from that. Setting an agenda. And normally someone is going to interrupt you there, especially with my SDR teams and reveal an objection or a pain point or a challenge. So that's one thing right there is not pigeonholing the conversation, not being too desperate. Um, another tactic we can employ along with that kind of open, direct questioning is just being prepared. The amount of reps who I've spoken to over the years and they're not prepared, they're not organized. When ultimately we as sales professionals, we're having very similar conversations every day. And if we're not reviewing and reflecting on those and using those as a bit of future proofing and planning for the future, um, it doesn't matter what tactics you deploy, in my opinion never going to squeeze the most out of that conversation so i i apologize that's a very general answer for yourself but it's all about just asking for what you want in a very direct and open way and and being prepared to have those conversations initially as well from from my experience
0: Uh, please don't apologize for for that answer mason (laughs) that was extremely comprehensive yeah so basically do your homework and use these make sure you're listening i guess
3: yeah, you can say to a lot of people, use what's in the middle of your head, I think, and they would just stare at you blankly. It's all about using your ears, listening and being in that moment rather than just on that moment as well.
0: Uh, Alison, let's come to you. What, uh, what tactics do you deploy for uh, uh, when, when exploring with the prospect where you can add value?
1: I mean I think it's it's really interesting listen to what Mason was saying because you've obviously got your ACRs who is is outbound cold, isn't it? So like to really understand what their pain points are in that literally 30 seconds or forty five seconds that you get, that's nigh on impossible, I would say. But if we look at us as humans, it all comes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So, you know, it's safety and security and and that's situational. So although there's like many issues that our prospects would have, ultimately it's time and money because that comes back to that, you know, where am I? And even when it comes to people, right? So we look at, oh yeah, I'm really struggling to recruit or I'm really struggling with the right people. A lot of that comes back to that fear situation, it's our brain. So ultimately, it's interesting because a lot of people like I get sucked into the b2b b2c b2 human situation right and I still do you know I am old school I have been selling for 30 years or whatever it is that I do believe that the tactics are slightly different for a a b2c um, situation because I think that's marketing now literally Mm. when it comes to that that's not really a sales function that's a marketing and you know having great marketing gets those leads in whereas b2b we still do have to have that outbound situation and I think you know lead forensics is a great example of how to do that because it's like would you like to know you know who's been looking at your website so you can increase more uh, conversions and make more money so ultimately you know that's the pinpoints in there is money and save time to be able to to troll um you know feeding also back into what Mason was saying It it does come back like literally the oldies are the goodies because it comes to the psychology. So if we look at how you engage, if you, you know, a lot of people focus solely on the sales process. And like I've written a book on it, like they're using my book as a framework for apprenticeships. But the other bit is the other side is the customer, you know, journey. So it's interest gained. So if you look at the SDR role when they're going outbound, well, you've only got 30 seconds to get that interest And yet, you know, we're going to talk about questioning techniques, but you're not going to get that chance to answer the questions if you haven't done a great hook to be able to continue that conversation. So I honestly don't think it's changed since the 80s. You know, I don't think the boiler room and the Wolf of Wall Streets is prevalent. And I, I think that more people have become quite switched on. And again, if we look at a lot of younger generation, they don't like sales. They're scared to be sold to because of that kickback from Um, you know dare I say spin selling you know that whole situation problem implication needs but ultimately it's not changed it's more of the human side and understanding the psychology behind it that really helps to gain that interest at the start of the call so yeah that's my opinion Joe no
0: it's it's something that is you know increasingly it's becoming a theme of you know these webinars and, and the conversations that we have is that you know whether it be B2B, B2B, b2b whatever people buy from people so if you can you know demonstrate you have empathy for them absolutely you know it's, I, th- I think it's key um harple your thoughts on that one what tactics do you employ to uh
2: explore with the prospects where you can add value so yeah i wouldn't say i've got any secret or, or special formula so to say I, I think definitely i resonate with what mason's selling for uh, what mason's saying for, for me my mythology is all about really understanding and by questioning the questions can vary of course that they're relevant to the service that that's being proposed but I think the key is all around just being open open questions listening to more than than I'm talking asking following up questions based on the answers and, and and really leading the conversation down down a path that I'm control of and we've got a saying in our office it's called leading the dance um, you know, and our job is really just to make sure that we're asking the questions that, that are relevant and, and going down the path that we're in control of. Um, and something we always emphasize is the biggest cost for us as individuals is is our time. So, you know, the importance of, of being direct as possible to to understand if if the customer has a problem, you know, how much time, how much money is that problem costing? um, you know, who's that impacting and, and how is that impacting them, their team, their business? Um, and if it is a problem you know h- how long has it been a problem because mm. someone's telling me it's a problem for two years then it's not a problem anymore right it's not something that requires an immediate resolution um and yeah i'm a, I'm a big believer in and yeah listening more than talking I, I did say that to my son my seven-year-old son you've got two years and one mouth but he went back and said but my mouth is bigger than my ear daddy and i didn't have anything <laughs> to say back it. so i uh, stumped me on that one but um yeah yeah for for me the key is important is is having questions having being prepared with your questions and and being open having open questions rather than than yes or no all the time Mm -hmm. and making sure that that those questions are leading towards you know your next action so to say
0: i suppose to give them yeah the open-ended question it gives them the opportunity to expand more on you know exactly how your solution can help them i suppose so if we let's go to our next question then so high impact questions demonstrate your industry knowledge and an understanding of a prospect's needs uh positioning you as an expert in the field so could you share any sort of fail safe examples that you always have lined up during your discovery phase think we'll, uh, let's start with uh, we'll go back to allison for this one <laughs>
1: So for me, I've mainly moved across into speaking. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, I'm getting quite a few inbound. So again, it comes back to whether is this an outbound, is this an inbound? Uh, Because if it's, for example, a speaker booker for like my clients are Adobe, Amazon, MetLife. If I'm going to be contacting them, I wouldn't be asking them, have you ever booked a speaker or how much do you know about speaking speakers? Whereas actually for an inbound inquiry, that's a vital part of information for me. Because if they haven't ever booked a speaker and it's an inbound, they don't know the different genres of speakers. They don't know the different costs of speakers. They don't know what the outputs are. So, again, I think there is a a variety between an outbound and an inbound situation. And I think, you know, if we look at, at that, how you direct that sort of conversation, and I would say... You know, as I've obviously got a sales training company as well. So when I'm sitting with my clients, like coaching the calls or listening in, I would say the biggest mistake that I see or I hear is, you know, Mason called it an agenda. I call it setting the table. Right. This is what I see goes wrong. So I'll give you an example. Right. Joe, We're going out for dinner. Right. Hypothetically. Or maybe we could go out for dinner. Like we're not singing this. time. We're all going out for dinner. Right. And we sit down at the table. Right. We're sitting there. And we're all having the same food, right? We're all having the same meal. And there's a little fork and a big fork, a little knife and a big knife. And there's a fork and a spoon at the top. How many course dinner are we having, Joe? Uh,
0: I would estimate roughly three.
1: I would say definitely three because you've got that there. And I think this comes back that... If you know you're having a three-course meal, you're not going, to I having a buffet? What's going on? We all know we're having a dinner. And that's the problem that before, I've seen so many people that fire into great open questions but the customer has no idea what the hell is going on. And then, you know, you're not, you can't direct, you can't lead the dance if they don't even want to dance. You know, they're not even on the dance and you're trying to get them to dance. And like I don't do dancing. So I would say that before, you know, again, old is the goodies, the killer question. You know, how much do you know about booking a speaker? And, and if that's going to go flow chart. So to me, it's always think like the flow chart. I either know nothing or I know loads or I know a little bit. And that's where you can only then direct, if they know loads, you're not really educating them in that. You're finding out what prompted you to contact me, you know, which speakers have you used before, which ones did you think were amazing, which ones were not so great, what were the things that made them amazing, what were the things that made them not so great, what level of energy of a speaker are you looking for? And and again, you're not going to sell to everyone, but it's all those qualifying questions and you know, I think you know only when you get to that part can you really start to you know you're starting to build that information. You know what what sort of budget do you normally um, deal with your speakers? And if they say two hundred quid and I like I'm charging six grand, you know and you know what's your budget? What's your flexibility to bring that up? Nothing. It's signed off in a PO. You know, don't sell to everyone. Don't undervalue what you do. So to me, that's the you know the oldies are the goodies though. it's not changed we might be a bit younger as salespeople, but the techniques are exactly the same and and honestly you know when I wrote the second book smash it it's not just sales it's life life the key to life is brilliant open questions because ultimately you know that having those relationships and how you smash it and how your happiness level it all sort of ties in together it's that people side of things
0: Absolutely. Again, we're coming back to the, the human side of things, but I will insist that with our three courses, Alison, I will have an after-dinner cocktail. So. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, that can we have a special martini, Joe? That <laughs> was a close question, but I was going for the sale there. Going for the
0: close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Harpal, let's come back to you. Um, any fail-safe
2: examples you always have lined up during the discovery phase? So the organisation I work for offers a, a data backup, a data recovery service. For, for me, my, my fail-safe question is, is always look when was the last time you did a restore test and and that that's just look people could say they, they've they got an amazing solution but and again i liken this to you know analogies if someone says they've got the best car top of the range etc on their driveway but they haven't driven it in six months how do they know it's still it's still working right and that's why it's all you know asking those straightforward those direct questions uh, and just understanding, look, you've got a solution, you know, that you think it meets your requirement, but when was the last time you actually, you, you tested it, so to say. And, and I always emphasize it, it's, it's not what's being said. It's sometimes not, it's, it's what's not being said. You know, if someone can reply and they, they've got confidence in their reply, yeah, I did a, you know, a restore test, took me three hours. It was you know, straightforward. I encountered troubles. You know, I was able to contact support to, to assist. You, you can clearly see they've got confidence in what they're using, but if they can't answer the questions, if they're unable to articulate, you know, their answers, so to say, th- there's potential, you know, opportunity to ask more open questions there and, and understand their challenges in more detail. Um, and yeah, just to you know, pick up on what Alan said, I think it's a natural human trait. People don't like being sold to. Um, so, so it's important, you know, not to go in with a pitch, so to say. Um, but it, it's also important to to be direct as possible and and to save your your time, you know. So at least you've got you know a route to go down. You know the questions that you that you want to ask. And but saying that as well, you want to demonstrate a level of right empathy and right understand your position. I want to you know get to know you and your challenges a bit more. Um, and and asking relevant questions that are relevant to them and, and their challenges.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic, Harper. Thank you very much for your for your input on that one. Uh, Mason, we'll finish up this question coming down to you. Fail-self examples you always have lined up during your discovery phase.
3: Yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I, I would absolutely echo what Harper and Alison um, have said there. And also, Joe, it sounds like you've got a good Friday night planned. We're going to the <laughs> club. You're going for a banquet with Alison and then we're all going dancing together. So um, <laughs> Harple's leading so, the yeah, dancing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> That's good because I can't dance. Um, but, but yeah, um, I, I think in terms of high impact questions, uh, it's worth noting that the most effective high impact questions occur when already there is a level of interest gauged from the prospect in what you're speaking about. There has to be a degree of buy-in for it to really hit home. Um, so, of course, in those early discovery processes within the sales cycle that can be a little bit daunting for any representative understandably Um, so it's all about acting familiar with expertise acting knowledgeable if I was to frame the kind of acting like an industry expert in terms of what I do here if we look at the industry of manufacturing you've got manufacturing there within manufacturing there is a hundred thousand different subsections of manufacturing for me to act like an expert in uh, textile manufacturing when I'm not, um, could they easily make me appear a bit of a fraud and an illegitimate. So what we can do there is, especially in those prospecting roles and the SDR roles, and I'm going to refer back to them quite a bit, is almost put forward several common challenges that we found others in their industry are facing. So what we're doing by that is we're covering a broad array of different challenges. And as an SDR, I would follow, get them to follow up those three challenges, as you're, you're probably going to say that none of those apply to yourself, and almost seem a little bit humble um, by that. With regards to lead forensics, though, like a fail-self question for us, especially when we're speaking to marketing-type roles and decision-makers, is always, what are you doing to drive traffic to your website? What are you doing to gauge interest in your brand to create awareness? Because what we're doing by asking that question is, one, we're giving ourselves a lot of thinking time because naturally, who you're asking it to, if they're going to give you a coherent, articulate response, it's not going to come within the first couple of seconds. They're going to think about it and it's going to be a more thought provoking two way conversation also with that, whatever answer you get, the reality is that you are going to be generating brand interest. You are going to be driving traffic to your website. You are going to be doing something in some capacity to grow your business. And if you're not, well, arguably you're you're, you're stealing a living somewhat um, without being too too crude. Um, so what that allows uh, my team to do is then build a great deal of value on that and actually have quite a deep understanding of, of what they've said in return. Um, Failsafe questions, I suppose, going on more of a sales front. We just take a spin of that. What are you doing to drive traffic? We ask, where are you getting your leads from right now? I think it's a very exhausted question. What are you doing to generate new business? It's a very exhausted question that's been asked for, for all time. And, Alison, I'm not saying, oldies oh, these aren't the goodies there. Um, they absolutely are. Um, it's putting a, just a different twist on that. So in terms of cold calling, you stand out from the other 10 people who've cold called that prospect in a day and have probably being hung up on and, and got the same objection over and over again. So what can we do to stand out there? Um, of course, it's hard to ask those really FU type questions um, early on in that discovery process. Um, but what I have seen is those reps who can execute that with a great deal of precision, great deal of confidence. Um, it's like we're taught from a very young age. If we're asked a question, we should answer that question. And they do get a very good answer and return from that.
0: Thank you very much, Mason. That was, again, fully comprehensive answer. You've (laughs) nothing to worry about on that one. Uh, Okay, So are there any shortcuts then? So what have you found to be the most efficient ways to understand whether or not there is a fit? with a prospect we'll go uh harper we'll start with you on that one
2: yeah so i was thinking about this question i was thinking to myself you you know is there any shortcuts i don't believe in shortcuts but uh, i suppose for me it's it's how quick they're saying yes you know the more yeses i'm getting the more likely there's going to be a fit you know have you got 30 minutes to jump on a demo next week you know from what you've seen from the demo would you like me to provide investments you know assuming investments are within the budget is there an appetite to to explore a trial um, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science, but sometimes I, I think you, you have to ask for the sell when you when you go for the close. You know, you've seen the service in action, you've got the figures, you've trialled it. What do you need from me with regards to signing off and, and commence billing from the service? Um, and and again, another shortcut. I wouldn't say it's a shortcut, but it's qualifying out really. And 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 that to me is so important because it just it just saves you so much time. You know, one of, one of my favourite questions is: Is doing nothing an option? You know, is can you afford to do nothing? Because if they turn around and said, actually, you know what, it is an option table, and sometimes people don't, you know, don't recognise there is a cost associated with doing nothing, because you're either going to continue, you know, spending what you're spending, or or actually wasting time doing what what you're doing. So you know, what is the cost associated with doing nothing, and and how long can you carry on doing it? Um, and 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 again, you know, being as direct as possible, we're going to cost X. How does that fit within your budget? What is what is your budget? You know, and, and it's it's not rocket science. You know, I wouldn't say they're they're shortcuts, but it's it's just being as direct as possible. It's it's making sure you save your time and, and qualifying them out nice and early because you know I was speaking to this opportunity with a. A head of a, a trust, and um, he said, "Look, we're, we're going to be hiring a new IT manager soon, and and you know, as part of that remit, and you know, he, he'll have his ideas." And I said, "Right, you know, he'll have his experiences. I'm sure he'll want to you know put in what what his experiences has taught him." And the head of trust says, "No, we're going to be going for for your solution. That that's it. You know, that there's no ifs or buts. I'm going to be dictating and mandating. We're going to be going for your solution." And again, you know, that was our concern because there was going to be someone new involved who was going to come in and, and want to you know, put his ideas in. You know, you want to make sure you, you address that as soon as possible and look to qualify it out. Because if, if Mr. New IT Manager's got his ideas, he'll, he'll want to put in something that he's comfortable with. But if his boss is saying, no, this is what you're going to do because I'm mandating it. Right. That, that's great. That, that's the buy in we want. Right. Yeah, no, fantastic. And to touch on, you know, something you you said earlier, I
0: imagine pointing out, you know, can you afford to do it? I imagine that's a huge, hugely powerful motivation. Well, you know, can you afford not to be going with us? So Mm. thank you very much. Uh, Alison, come back down the line to you on that one. Are there any shortcuts?
1: Of course there's not uh, sales is a process right so to me it's like um manufa- it's like manufacturing right you get your components they go through the process and then voila they'll come out as the finished product right and that's the same as sales like if you're not following the process there's one thing for sure that, that it will break so there's not but I've got a theory on this right um and I do think it comes back to like the SDR and the, the 180 360s People are scared to qualify because they're targeted on KPIs, right? And, again, a lot of that is sometimes when you are targeted on uh, KPIs, you would rather have KPIs that look like you're hitting your target, looks like you've got an amazing pipeline, and then, oh, damn it, that just fell apart at the end. And it's not. It comes back to exactly what Harpo was saying regarding the, the qualifying questions. And I'll give you an example, right? So we use we use active campaign, Right. So I don't do much because a lot of the stuff now is it's really a low volume of customers, but with a really high um, monetary value is what I'm doing now. But we still have our CRM. So this really well known CRM goes in and speaks to Rebecca, who works for me. So, again, hadn't been qualified on decision maker. that they wanted to do the demo with her and I'm like okay this is like like this will be fun let's play this game just for fun let's see how bad it goes so uh, I'm kind of listening in in the background and they didn't ask any open questions they hadn't qualified it they didn't ask us how much we were paying active campaign they ran out of time because they talked at us Look look at our CRM isn't it amazing it does all this But from a talk time perspective, whoa, whoa, they're ticking a KPI. They got a call, they they went to know that it wasn't a decision maker, but it's ticking a KPI. Then we have another one. So they go away and they come back with it. Look, we've put all this thing together. And then are you ready? We're two hours in. And again, I'm playing this for fun because it was during lockdown. And I'm like, I've got some time here. Let's just play along. And right at the end, they go for the clothes and they go. And look, it does all this. And it's only five thousand pounds a month or whatever it was. I mean, that's great. One fundamental. You didn't ask me how much I'm actually paying for active and I'm paying seventeen dollars a month. Literally, you know, we're all laughing. But honestly, somebody somewhere in that training and coaching team for this massive CRM that we all know who they are, should have picked that up. But they're not. They're putting KPI targets in place. And when you're struggling to hit target again, it comes back to Maslow's. If you're worrying about your rent, you're worried about your job, you're concerned, you are taking anything that you can get and you are not like qualifying people out, and I think that is a fundamental, you know, it does come back to great open questions, but the shortcut is In that qualifying conversation, when you've set the table, we all know we're having a three-course meal. And you know what, Joe? I'm going to be asking you questions around how much you're investing currently, what your budget is for the next 12 to, to 18 months and how that can work maybe for us or maybe it doesn't work. But that knowledge will really help us to try and come up with a solution for you. So when it comes to the money bit, which they don't like talking about, they've already set the table and told them in advance, we are going to be talking about cash And also that then, you know, really helps to disqualify if you're at the wrong level. If you're at an influencer level, they're not going to know those statistics and those numbers. So again, to me, there's no shortcut. Follow the process. And, you know, you're not going to sell to everybody anyway, but you can keep it warm. Whereas that CRM ain't knocking on my time door ever again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I often find with with newer salespeople that, that they're scared to talk about monetary figures. You know, it's it's I think it's sometimes so important up front to be this is investments involved and and yeah, not devalue yourself. And and I always I remember my old sales manager changed the word and said, don't talk all about pricing. Call it investments. Yeah. Because you just completely shift that that number on its head. You're investing in something.
1: And I think as well, can I jump on that? I'm coming back because a lot of that, I think is their perspective of cost as well so say it is five thousand pounds and they're living on 50 quid a week then they do that and it is you know as if it's a big figure but actually for anybody in investment in that that situation that could be pennies you know it's assumption isn't it
0: absolutely yeah it's changing you know literally the the definition of one word it completely changes your idea of exactly what that thing so Alison, thank you for that a couple of points on that one is that There's not much that excites me more on these webinars than when Alison Edgar goes, I have a theory. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, hopefully a a very valuable lesson learned for, uh, for the person on the other, other end of the phone with you there. Um, Mason, your thoughts then any shortcuts or are we completely
3: in agreement with these two? Yeah, I think we're all of the consensus that there are no shortcuts unless you can call having good habits um, of which there's tons of reading material. if, If anyone doesn't have good habits already, although I think, You've got to, to kind of survive in this line of work. i um, all being very well organized and, and prepared. Now, just on that, I'm not a believer that um, initial research before reaching out to someone to disqualify them is make or break. It's only after we have that conversation, because I'm sure if you go onto most businesses, LinkedIn profile, there's a few uncertainty, uncertainties, uh, a few mistakes and accuracies on there as well. So we can't make the presumption right there. Um, generally speaking if you've got a gut feeling that's driven by emotion that something isn't quite right and they're not a fit uh, there's probably a rational reason behind that and it's down to that individual to then probe and disqualify and um, I guess like a certain CRM's conversation with Alison, it all comes down to uh, money authority needs doesn't it um, money is there a budget available for this um, is the person you're speaking to, do they have the authority to make a decision on this or do they have the influence on the spheres that do? Um and is there a need? And and that last one is is down to the, the sales and marketing individual to create, quite frankly. That's never down to the prospect to have an innate need. Um, that's for you to spark that that interest. So um yeah no controversial opinion for myself unfortunately completely in agreement there. No there's no such thing as a shortcut, just following a very, very well thought out and rational structure
0: yeah i i did uh, i did have a feeling that while I was asking that i was like, i'm not sure there's anything you can do other than doing your homework and making sure you're doing the best you get yeah absolutely yeah um so amplifying the prospects issue shows that you like understand what their pain point is and gives you the momentum to come up with a solution um do you have any examples where this has either worked really well for you or is it really backfired I know we've touched on a couple of things you know can you afford not to do this or anything like that so do you have any examples where it's gone? exceedingly well or really backfired let's start with Alison for this question
1: of course it hasn't backfired only joking again I, i'm selling all the time but i think when you know your stuff and i think sometimes when you own the business and run the business it's a, it's a bit easier because you are so embedded Absolutely. in it um but i think if you look at specifically from a speaking perspective and again i think um harper was saying this like at I follow them down the path. I call call it following the crumbs to Hansel and Gretel's house (laughs) (laughs) because that's like the ultimate, isn't it? So you're like asking those little questions. And I think with those, um, I'm trying to get them to tell me. And I think that it's that reverse psychology, isn't it? So, you know, if you're asking great questions, like I'll give you an example. So there's three sort of genres of speakers, right? You've got the TEDx speaker really thought provoking but really quite low energy and I think pre-Covid that was kind of what people wanted. You know, they were quite happy. They would sit in a room. And so, you know, reverse engineering the questions back regarding the, you know, what what type of energy level do you want? And I know for a fact they're going to say they don't really want that because it's quite dull unless they're accountants. Sorry to any accountants in the room. But if you look, a lot of that stuff is in there. Then the other one, which is my biggest competitor, because we've all got competition, is the celebrity speaker and the sports person. So again, you know, without telling them, I know that the pitfall, because I've been in a room listening to these people for years, is that they make a big impact on the day. Look, here's me with my medal. Here's me, a video of me winning my medal. Here's me up a mountain. woo! But nobody can really relate to that. So the actionable takeaways are nothing. So they get the selfie, it goes on Instagram, they go back to the office and they forgot what you said, apart from there's this man or woman winning this medal. And then the third one is where I fit into. So a wee bit of a profile, but more interactive and actionable takeaways. So I'll reverse back and I'll go, so how important is audience engagement? Yeah, it's really important. Okay. How important is it that the takeaways last more than the day? Excellent. And then that's fine. So I just kind of reverse engineer it back and then go, oh my God, look at me. That'd be <laughs> perfect for your event. When do you want, press hard, five copies. So you've already kind of, sold the benefits in to the questions by um getting them to come up with that solution themselves and i'm, I'm joking you know we don't win every single one of them but a lot of, of them you know they're fixed on they do want an olympian or the fixed that they do want tedx and um the other thing and again which i think all sales face is you do sometimes get stuck at influencer so they're the influencers taking it to panel and then it's really out of your control. You just have to hope that everything that you've done has has given you the influencer to make them your salesperson. So I think, again, it just comes back to that process, Jo, you know, it's not changed. And again, it's really funny because when I'm doing sales training, Mason, I bring up man and I'm like, for all mm. you women there, it is not about a man, <laughs> you know, because we all know women are better at sales. And that brings up a bit of a laugh, but money authority needs hasn't, you know, that's been around for God knows since you know donkey's years yeah. but it hasn't it hasn't
0: changed uh mason we'll swing back around to you on that one then
3: yeah i, I think allison's totally right there you've got a you can lead a horse to water you can't make it drink the results not always guaranteed um i know that sounds a little bit a little bit cheesy but it, it, it is absolutely true um it's about making that prospect or the person you're speaking to to take ownership of things and um, the kind of skills that that we would deploy would be it's just appearing as familiar as possible. Um, you know, it, it sort of harkens back to social proofing, keeping up with the Echo, uh, keeping up with uh, the Joneses. Joe, you've got a, a brand new TV and I can look through your, your, your window of your house and you've got a loving family because you've got that brand new TV. If I get that TV as well, my wife is going to love me just as much as yours, right? It's all about that social proofing. It's all about making sure that that person recognizes that other people have had this situation before. They've had the same restraints, challenges, goals, and we are very much aligned with them, and we can be aligned with you. And it's about making people feel very, very comfortable. Now, has this backfired? Of course, it has more so than I would wish to admit. Um, you've run the risk of being over empathetic with people and saying, "Yeah, I totally understand you've got this this reservation, or this problem," and they turn around and say, "You're right, I do," and hang up the phone and well i've I've just put that objection in their hands um that's where that education piece comes in and and is so vital it's it's all well and good empathizing with people's problems recognizing others have felt this way um but if you don't actually kind of imprint on them that we can rectify those problems nothing is forever we can change um and you don't educate them you're going to lose all control of that of that sale um i suppose that that it's very much referenced in books like The Challenger South, for example, where you're, you're, you're tailoring what you say in your communication, you're educating people. And because of that, the outcome is that you take control of that conversation. And that doesn't mean being confrontational or aggressive. It's all about going back to the previous question as about well, appearing an expert, appearing knowledgeable. This isn't your first rodeo. Um, I say rodeo because I'm currently in the, in the southwest of America. So that's quite applicable right there. Uh, <laughs> but you've got to make people feel comfortable. Just as much so you've got to educate people and show them that light at the end of the tunnel as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and well, to be completely fair, since I had got, you know, my 4K telly, my marriage has really taken off. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh Harpo, finally come back to you for that one then. Any times it's gone really well, any times it's backfired for you.
2: I I think, yeah, Pick picking up on what Alison said about reverse engineering, I was trying to get them to sell back to me. Um so yeah, we we'd a call Yesterday, where the customer said, "Look, I'm trialing two other solutions," and and I, you know, all I was doing was one of my yeah, new colleagues. I think it's day two for him, um, and all I was doing was just asking him questions. Look, what is it about our, our solution that you like? You know, what is it about us that makes it better? What is it about the other solutions that you don't like? You know, why why would you choose them over us? Um, and really, it's just you know, again, going back to that whole shows that they get it, so to say once once someone's trialed it test it they've, they've got you know unrestricted use of a service and, that, and they can see that from my point of view i back myself to, to be able to give it to you and you know i, I think statistically we've shown as a business nine out of ten trials close we want to get you know our process to get them on trial as quick as possible um but yeah in addition to that i've often found in my career people tend to buy in and, and listen more and people tend to remember more on stories especially if it relates to them if it relates to their challenge i think something like i think you know by listening you forget 90 percent of everything you hear but you know by hearing a story what relates to them it relates to their challenges and you know similar situation of what they're doing at the moment it it really helps them to visualize wait a second this can help me this is how it's going to help me because it helped xyz in the past um and and, yeah, look, you win some, you lose some. You're not going to win them all completely. Yeah, completely hands to hands up in the air. And, you know, I try and try and forget the ones I lost quit very quickly. But, um, but, yeah, I always find sometimes, look, things get in the way, time gets in the way. And, you know, I'm I'm very persistent. I, I tend to be too over-persistent sometimes. I think my sales managers have told me I tend to you know, keep going until I get a hard no. But, I always find when you, you know, if you take notes during the qualification process and, and you go back to Mr. Customer or Mr. Prospect and say, wait a second. So you told me X, you told me you had a problem Y and Z. Are those still problems? Well, what, what why are you not addressing them again? You know, you, you told me problems X, Y and Z, you know, three, four months ago. You haven't addressed them. Are they not problems anymore? Um, and that tends to really work well because, one, it shows that I was listening to them. And two, it really just address. well, look, you told me there were problems. Why are they not problems anymore? And and seeing if you can get to, again, going back to it's not what they're saying, it's what they're not saying. Well, look, I'm the influencer. I took it to decision makers. And fortunately, look, this isn't something we haven't got the budget X, Y, Z. And again, look, I'll take a no any day. For me, you know, it's all about getting that no as quick as possible.
0: Yeah. So, again, it comes down to you know what we said right at the, the start of the webinar is, you know, just listen more and absolutely no fantastic thank you very much for your input on that one so guys uh, just a, a reminder that today's webinar is brought to you by lead forensics which is software that in essence tells you who is visiting your website and can even track specific journeys through your website along with providing you with valuable contact information so you can close those deals great okay so guys one key sentence one absolute takeaway mason if we can start with you
3: yeah i'll probably echo back to my, my first point i made at the beginning of this is just ask questions be direct be forthcoming transparent honest with what you're looking to achieve um and make sure you do that in a very humanistic and and just natural conversational way
0: perfect that's absolutely perfect mason thank you so much for joining us for this webinar Um, You're our pleasure harple one key takeaway the most important thing
2: if you can I don't work for lead forensics all right but um I will my key takeaway is guys I've made and closed deals because of lead forensics I can point to you know on my commission sheet that deal was closed because I saw that company hit lead forensics I went on LinkedIn contacted the IT manager and yeah one thing led to another and we closed the deal that's Again,
0: excellent i don't work for
2: lead forensics <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to
0: make that very
2: clear disclaimer
0: <laughs> thanks very much harble thank you so much for joining us for this webinar and to round off then allison hit us with it
1: <laughs> oh i've just learned everywhere you go take a walk in testimonial with you <laughs> think, oh really uh, but one of the things that fits in from what Mason was saying, and I think there are loads of different industry types manufacturing, retail, whatever but ultimately, know about business know about how the business makes money know about the things that are coming up in the world energy crisis how does that affect their business because if you know about business actually you then can place your product or service into that organization you don't sound like a salesperson you actually sound like somebody who's really interested in their business or what's going on in their organization and everybody wants to be listened to it everybody wants to be heard so yeah and take your testimonial <laughs>
0: Alison thank you so much guys this has been really really lovely it's been a great chat with lots of valuable takeaways our audience can go away and apply to their businesses so thank you very much for joining us we do have another lead forensics webinar tomorrow